Where does it all begin, this Christmas story? Ask the average individual in our country, and I'm sure the person will say, at Bethlehem, it was, it was Mary's baby that came, and the shepherds arrived, and then later the wise men came with their gifts, and, and the child grew. It all began there. But, but it, it didn't. That, that wasn't the beginning. In fact, in order to begin at the beginning, we have to start where there is no beginning. So allow me to be your tour guide on this very unusual journey we will take. It's unusual because I've never been to the destination, and you haven't either. In fact, no one on this earth has ever been there. Which adds to the fact that it is not only unusual, it may seem a little uh, eerie. Because where we are going, there is no time no sound. In fact, the silence is deafening. There is, in fact, nothing. As we travel to infinity, eternity past. Now, in order for us to take this tour together, uh, we'll have to take our vehicles, and you have yours and I have mine, we'll need the fuel that will drive the vehicle, and we'll need to keep the fuel lines open so that we have enough to take us there and then back into time as we follow the instructions of the map. Interestingly, we all have the vehicle but we don't all have the same amount of fuel. Our vehicle that we'll travel in is our mind, and the fuel is our imagination. And some are equipped just naturally with more imagination than another, so they can travel longer and farther than those with a limited amount of imagination. So. I'll try to make the journey interesting enough and short enough that we can take in enough of it for it to make sense. The challenging part of it all is that even if we have the vehicle and the fuel, and even if we arrive at this eerie and unusual destination, will not be able to take it all in. It uh, is beyond us. The reason is because in this place where there is no time or creature or even matter, Everything we know on this earth is, is absent. So it's easy to be disoriented unless we focus on what was there.
and in infinity, eternity past, there is only the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent. The focus of our attention is on the second member of the Trinity because he becomes the one who leaves the presence of the others and becomes the only member of the Trinity who has a body, a tangible, visible body. God the Father is a spirit, and no one has seen God at any time. God the Spirit is such, but God the Son, when he became a man, took upon himself human flesh. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I need to come back to this map I mentioned. And you, you have your copy of it, and I have mine. And because it is a reliable map, we'll look to it. Because, let's face it, no Christmas card will ever be able to adequately portray infinity. And no Christmas pageant could ever set forth the scene. So we must rely on the map. And because the directions in the map are limited to words, we'll have to use our vehicle and engage the fuel to picture it as it transpired. In infinity past, in eternity past, there took place what theologians have come to call the Council of Divine Decrees. Stay with me. At this Council of Divine Decrees, a plan was arranged by the Trinity regarding life, not just life on this planet, but life as a whole, and not just this galaxy, but all galaxies, and every place where the Trinity determined there would be something, then that was in the plan, including on this earth, a plan of salvation. So you see, it, it did not all begin at Bethlehem. It didn't begin just when the angel said to Mary, you're the chosen one. It didn't begin when she felt that first movement in the womb the embryo becoming fetus, and ultimately the baby. 
No, it goes all the way back into infinity, which is where John begins. All of your life, chances are good, you thought it all began in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens. and the, No, 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 no. That's when God created. John 1 goes back before there was anything created. I told you the journey was going to be a bit taxing, so keep your mind engaged. Keep the fuel lines open and picture the scene as John records it. In a beginning was the word John's uh, favorite name for Jesus is uh, Logos. I, uh, for lack of a better term, I, I call it uh, his nickname. Logos is too complicated for me to get into, so we'll just stay with the term word, which is the translation of the Greek Logos. But more importantly than that for a moment, is that there is no definite article before beginning in the original text. It simply reads, N-R-K, in a beginning, and halagas. In a beginning, which really never has a beginning, eternally existed lagos. If there were a definite article, we could have a point of time like your beginning when you were implanted in your mother's womb and you in fetal form or embryonic form grew into a fetus and finally a baby. But that's not where this begins. We're moving into infinity where there isn't a beginning. There's simply... The immensity of space without limits. I put a quick list together to try to get my head around it and stopped after I got beyond, beyond my ability to take it in. Listen to this. The immensity of limitless space, absolute and perfect tranquility, describing eternity past, the absence of any and all conflict between good and evil, the Godhead existing in uncreated perfection, harmony, and love, in this domain of divine, of the divine, uh, words like before and after don't apply. Those are time words. Words like early and late don't fit. Words like before and after. You see, those are our words that orient us to time. But when you are in infinity, there is no start or finish, beginning or ending, early or late, before or after. There is the ever-present now. where the co-equal, co-eternal, co-existing trinity 
existed in perfect sovereignty, self-sufficient, with a complete absence of frustration and the presence of limitless power. That's the seat. of the Council of Divine Decrees. The Father determined that the Son would be the one who would come. Look at the way the map reads. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Lest we be confused, we will use the word deity. Lagos was deity. There are many people who teach about Jesus, but they deny his deity. To do so is to deny John 1.1. Right out of the chute, we read that Lagos is deity. He existed in the beginning with God. In fact, God created everything through him. Most people don't know that. We think of the Father as the creator, when in fact it was the second member of the Trinity who was given that responsibility in the Council of Divine Decrees. We read that, He existed in the beginning and created everything. In fact, to make it clear, John goes on to say at the end of verse 3, nothing was created except through him. There was no alien creation. There was no surprising event. All planned, all carried out through the limitless power of the second member of the Trinity, Logos gave life to everything. Think of it. In creating these creatures and these living things, plants, animals, fish, whatever, there is the existence of life because he gave life to each. Apart from him, there is no life. And it adds, apart from him, there is no light. See how it reads? His life brought light to everyone. Light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Think for a moment of absolute darkness. My first example of that was when my family and I visited Carlsbad Cavern. I was only an older teenager at the time. I'd read of the place, but I'd never been there. And when I heard that we were going to be there, I, I thought, what a, what a, what a great thing to, to, to see that, those caverns and be in that cave. And we went down, 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 deeper and deeper and deeper. And we got all the way to what seemed like the center of the earth. <laughs> we were a long ways from that. But in my little mind, it seemed that, and suddenly, poof, he turned all the lights off. 
I mean, it was darker than a thousand midnights in the cypress swamp. Here we sat, and our guide said to us with his loudspeaker, now for a moment, put your hand up near your nose. Your nose is on your face, in case you wonder. And as you bring your hand closer, you won't see your hand, but you'll feel the heat of your palm. And I did that, like I'm doing right now. I look silly, but I'm doing it right now. And I felt the heat of the palm, but I couldn't see my hand until he struck a match. <laughs> and the entire cavern lit up from one tiny match. In this case, we have absolute, complete, total darkness until Lagos gives it life and light. Amazing. I love studies like this. I'm trying to keep you awake, so I'm going to stay at it here. I remember sitting in a classroom of theology when I was in seminary, very near the front, often right on the front row. I could feel the spit from the professor at times. I had to be careful about my mouth falling open as I'm sitting there in amazement. And I remember going through one scene after another, looking around and smiling like, is this the greatest thing you've ever heard? And I looked three guys away and I saw, like I'm seeing right now. No, 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 no. I think you're all awake because you're in the vehicle and you've got your fuel line open. But listen to this. Listen to the way Philip Keller describes the scene. In order to fashion earth as he did, with its incredible array of plants, animals, insects, birds, fish, reptiles, microorganisms, including humanity, demanded the attributes of deity, his insight into science staggers our imagination. He's the greatest botanist, zoologist, and biologist of all times. And so we could go on to enumerate all the fields of knowledge in which he alone holds all prior knowledge and prime position. He knew it all. He fashioned it all in his mind. It was clear to him before anything was created. When we built our home, we hired an architect who would help us with the plans. And there were times we didn't have some of the details worked out. I remember standing in the in the stage of the building where the two-by-fours were in place. You could make out where the walls would be, but a lot of the details were not yet figured out in our minds, but we had our architect with us. And I said to uh, Robbie Fuchs, our architect, I said, Robbie, I can't imagine how we'll do the fireplace, which we'd like to have here in our living room. And he said, oh, uh, you have a pad, a pencil? I, I go, uh, yeah. He said, okay, uh, sit down over here. So we down, sat down on the stool and pulled up a little 
a little table and he got the pencil and started drawing. So I'm watching this fireplace take place before my eyes. He draws it in 3D and he goes, when he finishes, there, there's your fireplace. And I go, that's unbelievable. I wanted to frame the pencil drawing. And he said, no, no, it's just a pencil drawing. It's a 3D drawing, of but it, it was fabulous. How could he do it? He's the architect. He sees it all. And if I hadn't wanted this, he would have done it like that. And if we hadn't wanted that, he would have added this. Jesus, the original architect of it all. And you thought he would just begin as a baby in a manger. No, no, no. The baby in the manger held the universe in place. You'll never see a Christmas card that advertises or announces that. How can you? True humanity, but undiminished deity nevertheless. I'm getting ahead of myself because we need to get to verse 14, where we read, So Logos became human. Never before in all of history, never before has such a transition taken place. The eternal Son of God existing in eternity past who has been in existence through all the eras of the Old Testament events through all of history from the eternity past to creation, to the passing of time, all the way to Nazareth and Mary, the young Jewess at work in the home who hears the voice of the angel saying, you're the one. And in that moment, Lagos became human. Isn't that great? God, while remaining God, now becomes truly human. Two natures one person existing without commingling, the unique God-man. Theologians call him the theanthropic person. Theos, anthropos. And please observe, he made his home among us I've always liked the way Eugene Peterson in, uh, in his, the message, paraphrase of the New Testament, writes, he says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Isn't that good? Isn't that a comfortable way to put it? Sounds like something Mr. Rogers would say, huh? He just moved into the neighborhood. You know what? That's how they saw it. 
That's how they viewed it. You see, the baby did not have a halo. He didn't glow. Didn't have little wings on his back. Didn't fly around the crib. He's a baby. And becoming a baby, he submitted himself not only to the pull of gravity, but to parental authority, neither of which he had known before. He created gravity, and now he's subject to it. Had they dropped the baby, he would have hit hard. He wouldn't have floated down to an easy landing. Why? Because he's truly human. That's why you see snapshots of both emerge in the life of Jesus. He's asleep on the, on the boat in the storm, and then when they awaken him, because humanity sleeps, he stills the storm because only God can still a storm. Because at the scene of Lazarus' death, he weeps because humanity sheds tears. God doesn't shed tears, but he raises the dead. He's the God-man. He's touched with the feelings of our infirmities because he is human. But he heals our infirmities because he is God. Learn that lesson. Understand that is why they worshipped him. Not because he was a pretty little Jewish baby, but because he is God in flesh. And they grasped enough of the scriptures to know this is Messiah. This is the fulfillment of the prophet's words. A child will be born. A son will be given. Here he is. God in flesh. Verse 14 says he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. How true. How magnificent. No wonder when he spoke, the centurion would say later, no one ever spoke like him. The seasoned, scarred, battle-hardened centurion had been around lots of people, but he never heard anybody like Jesus. But look, for example, at what Paul wrote. Not Philippians. Let's look first at Colossians. The letter beyond Philippians, you'll find words in Colossians chapter 1. You won't find anywhere else in the New Testament. So this is a passage of primary reference, a wonderful reminder of the Jesus of eternity past. Look for yourself. Colossians 1.15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. How beautiful to write it like that. He's visible. We could see him. But in fact, in him, there is the nature of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Well, of course. The creator is supreme over the creation. He is that. 
Paul goes on, through him, God created everything, verifying what John wrote. In the heavenly realms and on earth, he made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Is that remarkable? The massive stars of the universe, right down to the tiny butterfly wings under a microscope that hold the attention for hours. He made it all. He saw it all. Designed it all. And the immensity of space. If we could travel the speed of light, last time I checked, that's 186,000 miles a second. If we could take a direct trajectory from Earth into the spaces, none of the orbiting, just go direct, we'd be at the moon in one and one-third seconds. You know how long it would take us to get to the first star? Just the first star in our galaxy? Four years. That's just the first star. I love it that when Genesis records the making of the stars, it says, half verse, Genesis 1.16, uh, he made the stars also. Oh, before I forget, he put those stars there too. Don't you love it? You can laugh. It's okay. You know why we laugh? Because we can't imagine it. We laugh because it is beyond our comprehension. He existed before anything else. He holds all creation together. He is the head of the church, which is his body. He's the beginning, the supreme over all who rise from the dead. He's first in everything, and it pleased the Father to reconcile everything to himself as he comes to the cross. By the way, he died upon a cross of wood but he had made the hill on which it stood. He's the creator, the savior of ours. He's no happen along child of Mary of Nazareth. He's the perfectly designed human form that God took upon himself and lived on this earth 33 years. John writes, he came unto his own things, verse 10. But his own ones did not even recognize him. You know what's interesting to think about while we're thinking in our vehicles here? Uh, when he walked on the hill, he had made it. When he sailed the lake, he had put the lake in place. When he netted the fish from the lake, he had made the fish. When he stilled the storm, he had made the clouds. The prophet writes, the clouds are but the dust of his feet. This is our Savior. This is our Lord. He who came in Bethlehem's manger in that nativity scene, as you look at that baby, understand what you're looking at. 
What is remarkable is what you cannot see, and that is what he represents. Now, coming from heaven to earth was a shocking descent. Think about it. While he is in the infinity of eternity past, why, he has all the prerogatives and blessings of heaven. He has the worship of myriad of angels. Every comfort one can even imagine and beyond imagination is his. All authority, all rule. He made all the kingdoms, all those spaces there he put together. And when he said yes to the Father's will, he began a journey of descent. Philippians chapter 2 tracks the journey. Turn there now. Open. Open your map here to Philippians 2, verse 6. Here we go. Though he was God, so Paul begins where John ends his statement. He was God. Though that's true, he did not think equality with God is something to cling to. So Paul is getting ready to describe the process of moving from heaven to earth. He didn't cling to the prerogatives of deity. He didn't hold on to being co-equal, co-eternal, and co-existent with the Father and the Spirit. He let it go. He was willing to release it, to surrender it for a time. What else? Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. Not really a great translation. The Greek says simply, he emptied himself. This is probably the most important part of his incarnation. What does that mean? He certainly didn't empty himself of his deity, for he's stilling storms and healing the sick and raising the dead, calming the waters. So what does it mean? Listen carefully. He willingly set aside the independent, voluntary use of his divine attributes and personal prerogatives while earthbound. Again, he willingly set aside the independent, voluntary use of his divine attributes and personal prerogatives while earthbound. As a human being, he didn't act independently. Remember his words? I do always the things that please the Father. That was never true before he became a man. He was co-equal with the Father. Remember in eternity past, co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent? But when he became a man, he willingly bowed to the will of his father. He submitted himself to the father's will. Instead of remaining creator designer, he became the humble servant on this earth. That's what it says here. He took upon himself the humble position of a servant. Born as a human being, he appeared in human form and humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death 
on a cross. A wonderful journey we've had. We'll, we'll end our tour, but we're not through with the journey. We'll be on it for a while. We've thought together about where, from infinity, eternity past, to creation, to nativity, to Calvary, to the resurrection where he gained victory over death, sin, and the grave. So we've dealt with where. We've also addressed who. And our focus has been on the second member, the Lord Jesus, who was chosen, originally the designer and the creator of all things, now comes as the servant to give himself for us. You know what we haven't addressed? Why? Why would the Father send us his Son? What's the why around the Christmas story? It's in one four-letter word. Love. Yeah. God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son. He proved his love to us in that while we were yet sinning, Christ died for us. It was love. Back behind the scene, from eternity past, where there is love, all the way through time, all the way to the nativity, to his childhood, his ministry, his suffering and death, in his love, as he reaches out to us, just like his father, he so loved us, he gave himself for us. And that calls for a response, so that whoever believes in him would never perish, but have everlasting life. That's, that's the why. And that's what makes our response so important. We're not just sitting and listening with our arms folded, learning new things about theology. We're preparing ourselves for a response. I know a man who is a very keen-thinking individual. He's an author of a number of books. On one occasion, he decided to make his own study of Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, he had been raised in a home where he heard the name of Jesus. He was a part of a church where they had talked a lot about Jesus. He went to a college where Jesus was often mentioned. But he never really felt he knew the real Jesus. So as part of a book he wrote, which he titled, The Jesus I Never Knew, he includes these words. Listen to the thoughts of Philip Yancey. It is almost behind, beyond my comprehension. It is almost beyond my comprehension, and yet I accept this. Love is the key to understanding Christmas and is, in fact, 
the touchstone of my faith. As a Christian, I believe that we live in parallel worlds. One world consists of hills and lakes and barns and politicians and shepherds watching their flocks by night. The other consists of angels and sinister forces somewhere out there, places called heaven and hell. One night in the cold, in the dark, among the wrinkled hills of Bethlehem, those two worlds came together at a dramatic point of intersection. God, who knows no before or after, entered time and space. God, who knows no boundaries, took on the shocking confines of a baby's skin. The ominous restraints of mortality. He continues, he is the invisible, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, an apostle would later write, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. But the few eyewitnesses on Christmas night saw none of that. They saw an infant struggling to work never-before-used lungs. Could it be true? Could it be this Bethlehem story of a creator descending to be born on one small planet? If so, it is a story like no other. Little wonder a choir of angels broke out in spontaneous song, disturbing not only a few shepherds, but the entire universe. Having guided you through this part of the tour, you may not be disturbed over what you have heard. Because for the first time, perhaps, You've heard more about the story than you've ever heard before. But you've never responded to the story. You've only listened to it. This is a story that calls for a response. Will you accept the Father's love? Will you accept the Savior's death on your behalf? Will you acknowledge that you need the Savior to find your eternity that will be without time or ending once you have died? The offer of salvation is made available to us today. Today is the day to respond, not only to hear the story, but to take it personally, believe it.
embrace it. Because just as his life was transformed, it will transform yours as well. Please bow your heads with me. Just sit there with your eyes closed and imagine for a moment the day you're taking your final breath. You're not going to pass into nothingness in spite of what your college prof may have told you. You're going to move into another whole realm of life called eternal life. Where you spend that will depend on what you have done with Jesus while you're alive. There's no second chance. There is no purgatory. There is no such thing as being prayed out of a bad place into a good place after you're gone. All the praying, all the believing is limited to now. Right now. As many who receive Christ to each one, he became, gave them the power to become children of God, even to those of us who believe in his name. I invite you to believe in him now, right now. If you find it hard, we're here to help you believe or to help you make that journey. I'll be glad to be your tour guide in that process as well. Thank you, dear Father, for the journey. Thank you for sending your Son for us. We didn't deserve him. We don't deserve what he gave us, his life, all the blessings of life eternal. But we claim them by faith because of your grace. Speak directly to those who've never come to know your son and give them no peace or rest till they find that in you. Through Jesus Christ, I ask these things. Everyone said, amen. Amen. amen.